0: Men, we always say, oh, they age like a good wine. Women, it's like over the age of 30 and they're like, she's done for, which is absolutely ridiculous. And now modern medicine, women have decided to come forward and break the taboo. Muslim women like myself are saying, this has got nothing to do with faith. Okay, your faith isn't being tested because you have these horrific symptoms. What I need is treatment. And now women are demanding a change.
1: the Bhattameez, chi chi. Gandhi, Jalahata, Toba Toba, Oho, Bad Betty. I'm Sangeeta Pillai, and this is the Masala Podcast, a Spotify original. This award winning feminist podcast for and by South Asian women is all about cultural taboos sex, sexuality, periods, mental health menopause, nipple hair, shame, and many more taboos. Join me around my virtual kitchen table as I talk with some inspiring women from around the world, exploring what it means to be a South Asian feminist today. I interviewed Dr. Nighat Arif in a proper studio and it was lovely chatting face to face. This conversation on the menopause and perimenopause is really important because far too many women are still suffering. Nighat is a family GP specialising in women's health and family planning. She is a regular on BBC Breakfast, This Morning on ITV and is the host of the Sunday Breakfast Show on BBC Three Counties Radio. At a young age, Nighat and her family moved from Pakistan to Buckinghamshire Nighat still remembers arriving in the UK, shivering in a summer dress and flip-flops because her father had said the weather would be warm in April. Well, that didn't scar Nighat and she still lives in Buckinghamshire with her husband and three children. I love how passionate Nighat is about menopause care and I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's talk about The menopause. Mm -hmm. First of all, let's talk about why is it such a big
0: taboo? It is a taboo and it's been historically taboo because there's a lot of stigma and shame attached to the symptoms that come with it. Um, Women's bodies are traditionally sexualized, and I'm going to call it for what it is. We do have medicalized misogyny and the patriarchy that plays a huge role and I don't need to tell you about that or your listeners. The issue that we have is when you've got symptoms of vaginal dryness or you've got symptoms of low libido, you've got issues around pain and aches and pains. And then you've got the psychological symptoms of the menopause. And there are over 41, 42 different symptoms of the menopause. The idea of us getting older is something that's so hidden. And then if you transpose that into a community where women's bodies or anything regarding gynecological bits, so even a breast exam is sexualized or periods are sexualized, then you want to hide those changes that you're going through in the midlife even more. And then on top of that, then you've got a shrouded internalized misogyny. So women don't support women. And so they'll say, Well, I went through this and I had no issues. Why can't you get through this? And so that shrouding of everything staying underneath the veil remains. So in Punjabi Mgata, orath That basically means when a woman doesn't support a woman, then actually you just stay silent. Or jabharjis everything that stays underneath a veil. I'm hoping your listeners are. Yes, I, deep I think a lot of people will. So when that aspect remains, then there's a, an area of silence. And when there's an area of silence, then I, as the doctor, don't know because I learn from my patients. And as researchers, as uh, doctors, we only come across conditions or symptoms because patients come and tell us. That's the whole point of medicine. Medicine is not yeah. a science always. It's an art. And so when a woman comes to tell me I don't have that knowledge base as a doctor to say actually all these symptoms could be related to the menopause. And the woman doesn't have the knowledge base because the doctor says to her, Oh, this is just getting old. Uh, you know, I had a conversation, in fact, just two days ago with a woman, intelligent, absolutely intelligent lawyer, barrister, highly intelligent, grew up in this country, and she goes to me, "The menopause the hai which basically is translated, why do you talk about the menopause so much, nigga? It's just getting old. It's old age. You know, our grandmothers, our aunts, our mothers went through this and we never had an issue with it. Nobody ever spoke about it and they've done absolutely fine and they've lived till the age of 80. My answer to that is this. When we don't actually recognise the symptoms, then a woman suffers and suffers in silence. So we've actually done a disservice to your mother, your grandmother, your aunts and your cousins and all the women before you. What we should be doing is not a disservice that carries on because the symptoms are actually related to long-term complications. And now the data in the study shows that. And the other thing that we found in South Asian communities is actually we are far worse off when it comes to the symptoms. So I'll give you some statistics. In the perimenopause, which is the 10 years leading up to the menopause, so that's one year. So menopause is one year when you don't have a period. Perimenopause is you're still having symptoms and you're having periods. So the symptoms are hot flushes, night sweats, irritability, palpitations, tinnitus, changing your smell happens. You get bowel changes, you get aches and pains, vaginal symptoms, recurrent urinary tract symptoms. And then the psychological symptoms that occur, loss of self-confidence, loss of self-esteem, loss of joy, depression, tearfulness. And so those symptoms, we know, especially when it comes to hot flushes, puts you at higher risk of having cardiovascular diseases. So women don't know that actually I can protect myself. 40 or 42 or 45 isn't actually being old anymore. Mm. And when those symptoms occur, you're impacted in the workplace. So one in 10 women consider leaving their workplace. And do you know what? That's even more so within our ethnic minority and black women. So women are leaving the workplace because of the symptoms. they're financially they not getting up into the levels that they want to do. They're leaving their workplace where they could have had now the experience to have a managerial role, to be able to say, these are the changes that I want, but they leave. So we've got a girth of individuals who aren't filling those spaces and there's no inclusion where decisions are being made for you because men are left or those that hang on are left. And so actually we never move forward beyond that patriarchy, beyond that misogyny, because it becomes the butt of all jokes. And the difficulty we have at the moment is that when you have all of this in the perfect concoction, it becomes difficult
1: to talk about the menopause. Absolutely. And I think, going back to something you said, so if within the culture, South Asian culture, we don't really talk about our bodies, we don't talk about sex, we don't talk about breasts and vaginas, and these are just never, never, never discussed. We don't have words. We don't have words, and this is something... We come up a lot. Like, I don't know the word for breasts or vulvas in Malayalam or Punjabi, I'm sure. Maybe they exist, but it's not part of our lexicon growing up. So if you don't refer to anything like this, how are you going to then talk about something that's difficult within that? Like the menopause, right? And I think the other thing that occurred to me when you were talking was that women thinking that, oh, if I've been through this, it's a very, I think happens with other women as well, but particularly South Asian say if you've suffered within a family or a relationship, you're like, I've done it. So this younger persons coming along now and saying that, oh, that doesn't work. Like if I've done it, why can't you put up with it? Which is also another thing. And I just feel like it makes something that doesn't need to be this difficult. No. And the other thing that struck me is like when you were talking about age, you know, maybe our grandmothers at 50, their lives were pretty much over maybe. They had kids, they got married at, very young. They had children, they had grandchildren and they were considered old at that point. Like we, women in our age, we're in the prime of our lives. We're like working and we're doing things and those who have got kids, you know, they're they're in the middle of
0: a very busy life. And the concept has to change. Like, for example, I don't understand why we have this limitation within our mind that a woman that goes after, you know, Brapa is the word that they use. Mm. I hate that word. It's such Mm. a horrible word to say aged. Yeah. You know, brapag, yeah. That's yeah. who says that? Yeah. But we do say it. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, use yeah. it in our language all the time. Yeah. We have a word for that. Yeah. But we don't have a word for menopause. Yes. I mean, in Punjabi it's like Banji, which means barren. I mean God, that's literally that awful. awful. It's like or you know, or we use English words to transpose something. And it's like really awful derogatory words to describe a woman's vagina. I mean, we don't have a word for vagina or vulva. I mean, uh, unless they're really rude swear words yes. to
1: th- throw same at each other. Yeah, Like I don't know in Malayalam what the words are. I've just heard the really rude words. Yeah, I don't same know what here. the actual words are. Same here. And I don't want to repeat yeah. those on a podcast because yeah, they're, they're offensive and yeah, that's exactly. not how we should
0: be sort of limiting women to that because, yeah. I'm sorry, but all of us came out of a vagina. Exactly. <laughs> and if it weren't for a vagina,
1: none, none of us was on this the, planet would be here. There's a really
0: lovely <laughs> meme that I saw that said, you know, everybody has had... This. So there's a woman who says, you know, my vagina is so precious that I've brought life from it. You know, I've had enjoyment from it and I've given my partner enjoyment from it. So why am I not looking after it? And I just thought to myself, that is so true. In yeah, fact, we, we hurl abuse at each other yes. because of a woman's genitalia maybe not to a degree that we use male genitalia but we do but we shouldn't and this this concept that if you're over the age of 40 especially in the south asian culture is sex is no more yeah (laughs) and the idea that a 60 year old or a 70 year old or god forbid an 80 year old is having sex is like oh my goodness because what we do is we hide behind faith and so when there are problems within those departments they say you know, you haven't prayed hard enough mm-hmm. um, or you haven't asked for forgiveness or you've done something. And unfortunately, we still have that within our culture. But I'm miss, missing the point, the fact that sex is so important and it's it, yes. it reduces so many other health conditions and it's vital for a couple. So I often see Asian couples in my surgery. And the uncle will come in and he'll say to me, my blood pressure has been so high. My diabetes is out of control. And if you dig a little deeper, which I've started doing with some of my patients, and I'll say to them, so how's everything at home? Is your wife okay?" And he'll say, well, no, we don't sleep in the same bedroom anymore. She sleeps in a separate because she gets very hot at night or she's always complaining of headaches or she's always complaining of aches and pains. And that's the other thing I've realized that. Aches and pains, and pain is verbalised a lot more in South Asian yes. women, or even black women, because that's a, that's seen as a physical thing. And it's a more acceptable. It's an acceptable thing, whereas psychological yeah. symptoms are still, if paagalpa Yeah. How many times have we heard that just growing up in our house, where we've described a woman in our house as she's lost her marbles, yeah. you know, she's over the top. And unfortunately, I recognize that in my aunts and my grandma. And I'm saying to everybody, this is the menopausal symptoms. They're like, no, she's just, she's getting old. And the concept that a woman should have a vitality or enjoyment to her life, like men do. Men, we always say, oh, they age like a good wine. Women, it's like over the age of 30 and they're like, she's done for, which is absolutely ridiculous. And now modern medicine women have decided to come forward and break the taboo. Muslim women like myself are saying, this has got nothing to do with faith, okay? Your faith isn't being tested because you have these horrific symptoms. What I need is treatment and now women are demanding a change.
1: When I was really young, older women seemed very old. I grew up in India and we were taught that once you were past a certain age, your life was over. We were taught that as older women, all you could do was complain about your aches and pains and knit for your grandkids. And of course, pray morning, noon and night. Because basically, you were just killing time. We were also taught that older women had no desires left for themselves. That older women didn't care about how they looked. They were supposed to wear really bland colours nothing too bright or attention grabbing okay and older women were most definitely not meant to think about things like sex and orgasms hi hi i wonder if we could unpack for our listeners what the menopause and perimenopause is the various hormones that play into it because a lot of women will say oh it's nothing to do with me it's like something that happens like most Women that I speak to will say, oh, it's something that happens to really old women Yeah, without really thinking about like we're all at some stage of this process. Yeah, And we're going to have to find a way to a, understand it for ourselves and also take steps to kind of fix it if there are issues. So could you just explain what this, this whole process is? So the first is? thing is, is there's no
0: age limit on menopausal symptoms. So those are the symptoms that I recalled earlier. And you can have them with periods and without periods. If you just look at the definitions, and there is a whole range of definitions. So we have perimenopause, which starts roughly around the age of 40. The symptoms get worse and you notice them around the age of 43 or 45. And so you have a reduction in estrogen and progesterone. So those are the hormones that our ovaries produce. Basically, our body just says to us, look, you've done your fertility years. Now you don't need these hormones. I'm going to reduce them because you're in the next phase of your life. We transition as women all the time. We go from, you know... Birth all the way up to puberty, and our hormones change, and we start our periods. And then, when we're in our periods, we have pregnancies, and every single time you have a pregnancy, you're breastfeeding, your boobs get bigger. You, you know, they then they go down again. And then your periods come back. So those are your fertility years. And then you hit the midlife, which is when another transition happens, because, well, you're past your fertility years now. And so what happens is, is you get a reduction in oestrogen and progesterone and then testosterone as well, which is the third hormone. Now, when you get a reduction in these hormones, oestrogen is really important. What it does is it, I always describe it as, look, we need this because it lubricates our blood vessels. So from our head to our toe, around our heart, in our brain, around our kidneys, our gut, everywhere. It, it actually lubricates everything. Oestrogen is an immune modulator. So it, it helps the immune system fight off stuff. So we have difficulty fighting off infections when we're uh, later on in life. And so when these hormones are fluctuating, this array of symptoms happen. And this is can be a decade before you hit the menopause. Menopause is one year without a period. Postmenopause is one year and one day without a period. But on unpacking that further... You could go into the menopause really early. One in 100 women go into the menopause below the age of 40. So the youngest girl is, I think, about 15, and she's got primary ovarian insufficiency. Basically, the ovaries, we don't know the cause yet. We think there might be a genetic cause or, whatever, or a biological reason, but the ovaries stop working. So a 15-year-old in this country has menopausal symptoms. And then there's such a thing as surgical menopause. Now, surgical menopause is when you've had surgery to remove your ovaries or your womb, so known as a bilateral um salphingo-oophorectomy uh, and a hysterectomy. And if you have your ovaries removed, you're plunged, that's it. The day yeah. that you have it removed, straight into the menopause. And then we also have chemical menopause as well. So chemical menopause is we've given you something, and uh, say you've had some cancer treatment or something like that, and that's plunged you into the menopause. Yeah. And the symptoms arise because of that. So it's not so straight cut as this is, you know, old women. And unfortunately, it's always package in a western voice it's rich older women who are saying look i want my hormones no actually this is a medical condition that happens to even younger women and there are different facets to that and that's why hrt is vital for those women who are having a loss of their hormones
1: absolutely and i think this is something i really want to emphasize that it's not something that happens to white women it's not something that happens to really old women it's going to happen to every single one of us yeah and the symptoms, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, can start from around forty. Yeah, yeah, and things start to change, and estrogen levels start to drop, and progesterone levels start to change, right? And they don't all come at once. Exactly, you know, it's, it's not, not like, like one fine day, yeah, no, off the cliff exactly, and then exactly.
0: Right? Women don't just find that they just happen. Our bodies are fabulous. So if you think back when you were going through puberty you didn't just suddenly one day start having your periods it might have felt like that but actually your body was subtly changing for maybe five or six years before that so your boobs start to develop you've got a little bit of puppy fat around your hips your hips started to develop as well you might have noticed that your hair consistency was a little bit different your skin had changed a little bit your mood was fluctuating and then suddenly one day you know you saw red as you as you pull down your panties that is a period and and but that happens the same thing happens on the other side of life as well and the concept that we have is that well women say these symptoms happen but it must be something else a lot of women that I see around 40s and 50s is when they've got stresses they're looking after their parents who are older everybody runs to the woman in the house don't they I mean I I'm a doctor but I still find that everybody will come to the woman (inaudible) no matter how illiterate she is they will still go to her for advice especially when it means maternal care and medical care. So you're looking after your parents. Your kids are now older and you're thinking, I need to get them married off now. And arranged marriages still work in a lot of um, South Asian communities. You now sort of are finding your feet in your career, the career that you worked so hard for. You've done your periods, you've done your pregnancies, and God forbid you might have gone through miscarriages and all the complications with birth. Now you're on the other side and you're in your 40s and you're thinking, right, I'm at my realm. I'm the most experienced person at my group. And then the menopausal symptoms gradually come and we dismiss it because they all come as these hodgepodge symptoms. And this is yes. why we've always had a difficulty of actually diagnosing it or even doctors being aware of it and giving that a consideration as a differential diagnosis.
1: And I think the thing that I wanted to talk about personally for me as well, I've only just figured that I, I was perimenopausal like about four years ago, suddenly got hit by really bad UTIs constantly. Mm-hmm. And kept going to the GP and he kept putting me on antibiotics and all the usual cranberry, this, that, this, that. It's only now that I figured actually it was perimenopause. And I think because we talk about it so little that these, now I know, they're fairly common symptoms. It's not an unusual symptom to have recurrent UTS. That's like indicative of the menopause, perimenopause. I remember saying to my GP and he's like, no, 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 this is not it because, you know, your periods are normal, whatever. And I think... It's so important, therefore, to kind of bring it back to what the work you do and to talk about the symptoms like you've talked about, to talk about the various hormones in our bodies and the role they play. You talk a lot about HRT. Now, within South Asian communities, the women that I've spoken to, everybody goes, oh, my God, HRT, cancer. Like literally, I've had this conversation. I think every community that.
0: does that. Don't worry.
1: So it's it's yeah. not just us then. Great,
0: but it's more so <laughs> yeah within our communities because we have even less knowledge about yeah. HRT. Yeah. But I wanted to go back on something that you just said earlier. Yeah. There, you said you have got recurrent UTIs, and yeah. I think we've done a massive disservice in medicine. When it comes to UTIs, it's not seen as a sexy subject, you know, urinary tract infections, a cardiologist who's there. Saving lives. Saving (laughs) lives. I'll tell you a very, very quick story, actually, and this is a side point. I was a medical student and I was um, going on a ward round and we had a very, very famous cardiothoracic surgeon and surgeons have a, a, a huge ego about them. And cardiothoracic surgery is basically you do surgery around the heart to fix the heart, put it back into the chest. Mm. So technically, the patient is dead for a little while while all this surgery is happening. And then the patient gets better because they have lots of valve surgery and things. And we were doing a ward round. And this is the back in the days. I mean, I hope they don't do ward rounds like this anymore. And a long corridor of patients have been eagerly waiting for this consultant to come through. We all are chasing his coattails as medical students because you've got a whole team, you know, junior doctors, mm. SHOs, registrars, research students. And then you've got the piddly medical students, which is me. So we're running after him as he's doing his ward round. And this gentleman puts up his head from the end of the bed, which is a patient, and he goes to the consultant Am I going to be okay out of this surgery? Because I'm really scared about having this cardiothoracic surgery. And he looked the patient in the eye, and looked around at our group, and he goes, "Man, there are only two people who can save you right now: God or me. And frankly, God isn't here. Oh, I mean, the the, the oh ego, God, the ego, <laughs> the ego, and and just the the facade. And we were all stood there going, whoa." <laughs> And that is so hot and sexy, you know, to know that you can do a profession where you can literally, you know, put someone to death. And then you've got UTIs. <laughs> what do you do? I look at we all day. Talk all day.
1: So the concept
0: that you yeah. have around what's sort of hot in medicine and what gets funding or what gets yes. research, it, it's so based on sort yes. of this sort of ego. And it and it is ego when it comes to medicine, unfortunately. And so we've done a huge disservice to women. but there is genitor syndrome of the menopause or vaginal atrophy which as you lose estrogen and we've got estrogen receptors everywhere if you recall mm. i said look it's like a lubricant we need yeah. it we've got receptors everywhere and we've got lots of receptors around our vulva and our bladder and so that bit of skin needs that love and tenderness and care because when you lose that oestrogen the the receptors they shrink in size and they shrink around the bladder and the urethra where we mm. weave from unfortunately or well fortunately our anatomy as women is that our sewage works and our water works the and s- our sexual similar. orifices are all exactly in the same place yeah. and so what happens is you get transmission of bugs so mm. E. coli which is a mm. bug that lives very very commonly in the back passage will transmit if you don't have have that level of coliform or protection, or the pH is out of balance. Hence, why UTIs are so common in perimenopause. So, if a woman is in her forties, I mean, I wish I could do this with every woman. I would say to her, look, as my birthday gift to you, to stop you from getting your, you know, syndrome uh, of the menopause symptoms such as vaginal dryness, vulval splitting, you know, overproduction of vaginal secretions, itching. Soreness when you're having sex, soreness when you're having smears or, you know, prolapse symptoms, recurrent urinary tract symptoms. So all of these symptoms are the GSM symptoms. I'm going to give you vaginal oestrogen. Vaginal oestrogen HRT will replenish the skin cells in and around the vagina and the bladder, make sex so much easier. Stop your UTIs, stop this recurrent need of antibiotics, which makes you feel horrific. And that is the treatment for it. How often do we do that?
1: Never. Yeah. Like, never.
0: And the thing is, is there's this fear around yeah. HRT. Yes. So I wanted to unpack the next bit yes. of your question, which was, well, niggas, why, why don't we have HRT? Okay, so HRT has gone through so many rigmaroles and different things. There are three letters that just mean hormone replacement therapy. So we talked about hormones which fluctuate and you basically deplete or get less in and all you're doing is you're just supplementing yourself with hormones we do that with hundreds of other conditions so if you have a thyroid problem and you're not producing enough thyroid what do we do we give you thyroxine just to supplement what you're not making so your health is better people who are say type 2 diabetics and they are having insulin resistance and they're not having enough insulin what we do is we give them insulin if their control isn't and you know type 1 diabetics we do exactly the same it's just supplementation of a hormone. All we're doing with HRT is giving that back. But the problem that we've had is that because of lack of research, lack of randomised control studies, uh, various studies which have been now deemed to be inaccurate, have the headlines passed around on media. So the WHI study showed that women who were on a synthetic, so artificial made, estrogens, um, they had a higher risk of breast cancer. Now, I wanted to tr- unpack this a little bit because women don't understand sometimes, I think, breast cancer. So your risk of getting breast cancer in the UK, according to Cancer Research UK, is one in eight. So as you get older, because breast cancer is a disease of age, though your risk increases. Why? Because the estrogen that we produce as women works on the breast receptors. I'm I'm touching my breast right now, but I have lots of receptors in my breasts and those receptors will change every single time I have a period. So your boobs become a bit sore yes. and tender. Where you get inflammation, you'll get change. Where you get change, you'll get mistakes in cells. And unfortunately, those mistakes can turn into cancer. So this whole thing about oestrogen receptor cancers, well, of course, because your breasts have loads of oestrogen receptors in there. So... It's a tragic diagnosis and it's life-changing and life-altering for so many women. But what the study showed that women who were exposed to synthetic oestrogen, well, actually their risk increases. And then we had the million women study, which sounds like a, oh my goodness, a million women? They studied that many women? But actually that million women study was a retrospective study. So what they did is they looked at older women in the study and then just sort of picked out the fact that, oh, there's risks attached to clots or there's risks attached to breast cancer. But actually, it's a disease of age. So if you're looking at a woman over the age of 60, unfortunately, she's Mm going to get breast cancer. Was it the HRT that she was on or the the fact that it was her age? A woman who's a smoker, she's going to have a high chance of breast cancer. A woman with a BMI, a body mass index of over 30, has a 50% higher chance of getting breast cancer. A woman who drinks more than the recommended limits, so 14 units of alcohol a week, so if she's drinking more than that, she'll have a higher increased incident of breast cancer. So when you're looking at studies, are you just looking at HRT that she's on or are you looking at the other... Lifestyle factors. Lifestyle factors or her other age, all of those factors, her body weight. Are you looking at those factors as well? And unfortunately, what happened was, was that the studies showed that there were risks attached to it. HRT's moved on. So hormone replacement therapy, we now know there's body identical hormone replacement yeah. therapy such as patches or gels. And in younger women, um, so below the age of 60 or you know in perimenopausal age, if they start taking HRT, estrogen HRT, so as a patch or a sk- uh, as a gel or a spray, then actually their background risk doesn't increase. Yes, there's a little bit of risk of breast cancer. But it doesn't increase massively. And in younger women who don't have a womb, if they're on oestrogen only, then actually their risk doesn't increase and they don't die from HRT-related breast cancer either. So, in fact, you're getting all these benefits. Your quality of life is better, your rate of depression decreases, your rate of heart disease decreases. Now there's even data to suggest it it could be protective against dementia and it could be protective against, you know, it's a treatment for osteoporosis, which affects a lot of South Asian women. So those benefits, we need to be saying, look, these are the benefits of HRT and those risks that you're there. Actually, the risks are there anyway. And so, do you want a quality of life or do you want a quantity of life? And so, that balance, that risk and benefit has to be very individually tailored to a woman. And then, on top of that, not just body identical transdermal estrogens, we've also got topical vaginal estrogens such as Vagifem or Vagirux and. That topical vaginal oestrogen, the data and the studies have shown that they do not increase your risk of breast cancer and do not increase your risk of recurrence of breast cancer. So even if you've had breast cancer, you can be on topical vaginal oestrogen to stop things like recurrent UTIs.
1: This is absolutely brilliant. And I, I wish someone had told me this five years ago. Because, you know, this four, four years of this constant antibiotic. We've popping. done you a disservice,
0: you know, and uh, we're doing a disservice yeah, still. Exactly.
1: Because this message isn't going out to
0: Asian women, black yeah. and Asian women. And there's this health inequality. And I think this is why I talk about it. And I and I do get people going, well, why this is Bisharam? Why are you talking about <laughs> bishadam things? Because who wants to hear about vaginas? It gets me because like you say, five years you struggled and you didn't need to. Isn't yeah. that, Isn't that, it's heartbreaking and, and noisy. Like, it's,
1: it makes me angry. It makes me really angry. And it's not that, you know, I'm, you know, I work in feminism, female pleasure, sex, whatever. But even me with all the reading that I do didn't connect the dots. And so even when I connected the dots, the GP didn't take me seriously. Because I was the one who said, I think maybe this is perimenopause because I read that the UTIs happen. Mm. And they were like, no, 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 that's not what this is. So, you know, it just makes me really, really angry this, I think. So if we look at that and we look at the data around Mm. ethnic minority women who Mm. seek
0: help Mm. in the NHS, actually, we are doing them a disservice. And I keep using the word disservice. It could be worse than that. But we know from the Marmot Report, the 10-year analysis of ethnic minority women, uh, we know from countless maternity reports um, for outcomes for black mums, you know, four or five times higher risk of miscarriage and death to black mums and complications. And we know that there is, I mean, the SAGE report that came out in just in the pandemic, which showed that black and Asian ethnic minorities were far more disproportionately affected by COVID. I mean, this is in our life, you know, two years ago. I'm not talking about something that's even old. The fact that we have these health inequalities is underpinned by institutionalized racism. That's not even me saying it. This is Sage saying it. So when we know that there are issues, unfortunately, this is why we have even more the fact that ethnic minority women are far more um, disadvantaged when it comes to things like women's health and menopausal care and menopause assistance in the workplace and just their quality of life. So then the statistics will come out and say, well, why are women doing... Ethnic minority women, you know, for example, dying 10 years younger than their white counterpart, or why are we having more mistakes in ethnic minority women? And I always get the same answer from the women that I ask. They say, well, the doctor didn't take me seriously. And then you ask the doctors, and you say, well, Why aren't you taking these women seriously? And they'll say, but the symptoms didn't fit the profile that I'm used to. Why? Because we are researching white Western women. Exactly. And we are transimposing them into our ethnic minority women and saying, but you're all the same. I mean, women are women. I don't know. Don't get me wrong. I'll ask you a thing and guaranteed I'll ask you any intimate gynecological problem, even if I wasn't a doctor, you would tell me the truth. You will tell me, nigga, of course. I have this, I have this sex is this, I have these issues, yeah. and and I'll say to you, what do you want from me as a doctor? You will tell me. Yeah. The problem that happens is that I'm blinkered, mm. because I will look at my Western books, so only now are we seeing coloured images of women in their pregnancy state, or eczema rashes in black communities, or how... Like, like I'm still trying to source a video of lichen planus and lichen sclerosis around the vulva in coloured women, and I can't find it in any medical textbook. Mm. That's a textbook that I grew up with learning because it's always Caucasian white skin. So how dare we then as doctors say, well, actually, there's less good outcomes for ethnic minority women. Because actually, what there is is that there's this institutionalized racism because we've never shown doctors in this country what well, yeah. these are the symptoms, and it was only when I started tracking some of the women I look after because I worked in Slough and Southall, and I had a colleague of mine, a Pakistani colleague, who said to me, "There's a patient that was coming in recurrently with abdo pain, and it turned out it was endometriosis, and that's another mm. bugbear of mine that we have, I have with my Asian patients because." I think it's it's criminal, the fact that we miss endometriosis for seven and a half years and worse so in ethnic minority people because there's this concept that women of colour are better with pain or they don't feel pain to the degree. I know. I can tell you we, we feel pain. I, uh, it, it's shocking. And that stems from times of slavery. When, you know, Dr. Sims, who brought uh, the Sims spec, he was saying that you know, they, they experimented on black women, saying women don't feel pain the way that white women do and they have a higher pain tolerance. Look, that is utterly ridiculous. But unfortunately, I've heard that in medicine. And I had a Pakistani colleague who said to me, She's coming. She always has pain in her stomach. Uh, and I was like, what is, hmm. what is this? Growing up in this country, she had come from Pakistan, had done her plabs and things. And I said to her, what is this? And she goes, oh, so women who, from our culture who come in complain of head to toe pain. And, and so they're over exaggerating their pain. And I was mortified. And I'm not even talking, wow. this was years ago. This was what, yeah. maybe three or four years yeah, ago?
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And I was literally livid. Because the thing is, is we have colonialism, which plays a huge role in the way that we perceive women. Women, women do, you know, don't support each other. And we have this thing that the white individual who has taught us this medicine is the right way. Yeah. So we don't question it. So I yeah. put it on Twitter. Yeah. So I took to Twitter and I said, I'm seeing lots of Asian women who are in my clinic and they come in and complain of aches and pains. They don't complain of flushes. I say to a woman in Pakistan, you know, from Pakistan, have mm-hmm. flushes. They'll say, stand, if you feel flushes, so if I say to a woman, do you get flushes? She'll say, stand in the heat in Pakistan. It's 45 degrees, you'll know what a flush is. Because the concept of flush is in there, but she'll tell you about aches and pains. Yeah. And so when you look at that and you think, oh my goodness, that is absolutely right because your symptomology is slightly different and we've never documented this. And then I put this out on Twitter and then I had loads of other doctors going, Mm. and doctors from India and Bangladesh Going, We get the same thing because they don't complain of flushes so much, but exactly. they complain aches and pains, recurrent UTIs, exactly. loss of libido, loss of desire, mood related symptoms. And they're old. What we say is because they're older and we ask them to pray harder. Isn't that it's awful? It's just terrible. How, it makes how me so have we got angry. To this? Yeah, it makes me so angry. But how have we, one, allowed this as a society yeah. within ourselves as women? You're an incredibly intelligent woman, Sangeeta. I follow you and I think you do an immense amount of work and you're not afraid to talk about anything taboo, which is why I adore you. But yet, even you felt yes. that the doctor didn't listen to you.
1: Exactly. Because when I go in so there... So imagine a woman yes. who doesn't speak English. I was just about to say that. I'm like, OK, I'm, I've looked it up and I've read it up and I've done my research. But I still turn up and when it's a GP, it was a male GP, when he says, I don't think that's what it is. I just say, OK. So why am I not questioning it? So I think that's that internalized. Because we have that concept exactly. within us, like internalized sort
0: of power yes, level. Yes,
1: exactly. The Doctor
0: Subhushay get the doctor's always not right.
1: Everything. Yeah, exactly. the yeah, and so exactly. for the
0: one thing I would say, and I laugh at this because I'll get women who'll come and say to me, and they'll be like, "Doctor Jokesh and I'm like, "No, no, no, no. This is a conversation. Yeah, I'm not right. Yeah, you have to tell me what exactly. you want." Exactly. And I'll, they'll say, but I don't know what I want. And then the best consultation is you give them an option. Yeah. And I show them all the options, and I say HRT, no HRT, actually localized yeah. vaginal oestrogen, diet and exercise. Which of those would you want to yeah. try first? Yeah. Yeah. And then try yeah. it, and then come back to yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. And that is shared care. The shared care plan, well, that concept doesn't exist. But what's happened is, is we've educated that plan as doctors yeah. in the NHS to know what services to get to our Caucasian population. So then 10 years down the line, the Marmot report comes out going, oh, ethnic minorities do far worse outcomes.
1: Well, like, you've, never really yeah. you've never taught the communities. Why is yeah? You've
0: never taught the communities how to use the services exactly. within the NHS. Exactly. They don't realise that they have ten minutes. They don't realise that actually there are interpretation services yeah. that they can have. Language is a barrier. Yeah. Then their cultural heritage is a barrier. Then the shame that is attached to it. The fact that they might not want to see a male GP. They're yeah. waiting for a female GP. The number of times I still get message from women going, "I've got a breast lump, and can I wait?" to go and see a male GP, Dr. Arov, And I'm like, no, 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 you see anyone. (laughs) Like, you need to get this tested.
1: I remember my mother in her mid to late 40s. And I remember how she also constantly had UTIs, just like me. I remember her curled up in pain with a hot water bottle in bed. She'd drink gallons of boiled barley water because that's what the doctor had told her to do. And of course, take those endless rounds of antibiotics. This carried on for many years. My poor mum, no one had told her about the menopause. So she suffered year after year after year. I really hope that the next generation of women are looked after better by their doctors and by society. There's something I wanted to touch upon, um, is the psychological impact of the menopause, which I don't think we talk about. So most women think menopause, they think hot flushes, right? That's the thing that, and if you don't have the hot flushes, you're like, oh, clearly I don't have the hot flushes, so I'm not perimenopausal or menopausal. But that's not, truth at all as as all the things you're saying but i think the psychological impact is something that's really not discussed so suddenly like and again this happened to me and now looking back i can pin it on together so four years ago suddenly depression anxiety out of nowhere and it was like a car crash is what it felt like Mm. and speaking to other women who've experienced similar things again it's the perimenopause menopause can you talk to us a little bit about the psychological impact of what happens when the hormones go, you know, Yeah, of course.
0: Change. So perimenopause, that 10 years before you hit the menopause, and even in the menopause, one in four women will say, I had no symptoms, Two out of four women will say, I had some symptoms, flushes, night sweats, some psychological symptoms. One in four will feel suicidal. And I've seen that. I've seen that walk through my door where a woman is at the end of her tether. She's probably been to different GPs at the practice and they've offered her antidepressants. And she's not because she's actually just going through perimenopause. She's on her knees and she'll say, I wanted to drive the car off a cliff yesterday or something stopped me or the, the sound of my kids' voices... And that breaks my heart and it's horrific. And it's even more horrific, the fact that we don't acknowledge this within our community. And the psychological symptoms, as you were saying, are overbearing. So it's that low mood, tearfulness, the memory fog. You know, you don't remember things so well. You lose confidence. You lose lack of self-esteem. You don't feel sexy. So your libido is not there. So you don't want anyone to touch you or talk to you. Irritability, anger. How many aunties can you think of who are in their 40s and 50s and 60s that you think, me oh, tell me. Loads. I, loads. Actually, with a balan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> with <the> a chappal-, <laughs> chappal and balan. I honestly can think of, I went to a wedding recently as we came out of the pandemic and now, obviously now I'm not so blinkered anymore, but I saw so many women and they were just angry. They were just for no reason. <laughs> They're just irritable and angry and wafting a fan and sitting there and just going, Oh, it And I was just thinking, This oh is menopause. God, this is classic. And then they'll say, I'm insomniac. I can't sleep. The sleep symptoms is horrific because if you're not charging your batteries, you're feeling awful the next day. And then on top of that, you're so on edge that you feel like this is never gonna end. It's 10 years of this. Wow. And how is this going to end? Because the hormones are fluctuating. Oestrogen lubricates those blood vessels around the brain. So we now have realized, I mean, we knew that hormones affected our mood. We know that for our fertility years. We know it affects pregnancy. We know that very, very well. We've got so much stuff around how to look after your mental health in pregnancy. What, do you think the woman just falls off a cliff at the age of 40? Why aren't we doing this for perimenopause? Exactly. Exactly. It's ridiculous. It's like the the this is where I came back to patriarchy and misogyny yeah. because a woman's role is only to have but chibana but And that's it. Like as soon as you've done it, you're yeah, like jobs exactly. over and we job's don't really care now, about you. So we don't really care <sighs> about you. your surplus to excess. So those psychological symptoms are are worse. And for some of my patients, actually the only thing that they get are psychological symptoms. So the first line treatment, and this is according to NICE, is that we should be offering women HRT hormone replacement therapy and getting their estrogen level balance right it takes it's not a like the silver bullet it's like I'm talking about HRT is you know all the the benefits of it I don't want the listeners to think do you know what this is amazing this is what I need but it's a part of the jigsaw a great exercise great diet weight-bearing exercises which help the mental mind and and also your fit your physical strength as well and talking to friends seeking help when you need help and those are the things that you should be resorting to first. Unfortunately, because there is so much myths and fear around HRT, which we talked about earlier, doctors don't want to prescribe it. Women don't want to take it. I yes. actively get women who come in going, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to have HRT at all. Uh, you know, because A, they don't believe that they have psychological symptoms, number one. And B, they don't believe that this is the menopause. They think it's just because they need to pray harder. And I keep coming back to this because this is a concept that I constantly get. Yeah. As an overtly Muslim woman who wears a hijab, the first thing they'll say to me is that, I say, I say, I say, I say. But even, you know, Hazur so our Prophet Muhammad wasallam and Allah said that, the ke saath, That means, even in our faith, it says, with medicine, you have to do dua. And both of them, can. they're not either or. And so this concept has to be constantly challenged, even within the fabric of our community. That if you pray harder, you'll get better or it's a punishment. It's not because now we do have modern science and modern science. If you really want to be sort of say, well, this comes from Allah anyway, this comes from God. I'm a person of faith, so I would have these conversations quite openly. But those who are agnostic or don't have faith, I mean, I know that these conversations will be very difficult. And we need to constantly challenge our concepts and our understanding behind, behind that because unfortunately we do package in our culture faith culture with mental psychological symptoms so They're much. They're all linked, isn't it? In our they our culture. are linked.
1: So, Nigat, you've got so many amazing things you do. You're on you know, you're on TV talking to us, you're on your TikTok, your GP. And I think before we started, I was saying, I don't know how you pack all of this in. But outside of all of these amazing things, is there anything else coming up that you want to talk about and share? I do have some amazing projects, but I can't sell
0: too much. So please do follow me on my social media or don't follow me. I mean, I'm I'm not that. Do follow her. She's really amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I will have some projects um, coming up. I will hopefully have a book coming out at some point as well. And more stuff with my TV work. But but the core bit, and and this is, I think, the most significant thing, is that my love, my first love, and don't tell my children this, or my husband, <laughs> <laughs> is clinical medicine. At the core of it, I'm an NHS GP. And I think that I will find it very hard to ever move away from that. So for me, the greatest thing is, is I still see feel relatively like a baby in GP land. And I still feel I don't know enough. You know, it's like, uh, The more you educate yourself, the less you know. So I'm in that sort of phrase of mind at the moment that I feel the more I do stuff, the less I feel I know about stuff. Like it only recently occurred to me that women who, um, in the British Sign Language, so women who are deaf, don't have a word for menopause. Oh my God. How crazy is that? That is crazy. The British Sign Language has words for yeah. everything, but not menopause. Huh. And we started doing telephone consultations in general practice. So how do I communicate with someone who's deaf on the phone because they couldn't come and see me? And it's only so there's some work hopefully going to be doing around that. So it's things like that that I just think, oh, my goodness, this is. And I have a passion for learning and understanding things constantly. So no doubt I'll be learning a new skill at some point. So that I will drive me. But no yeah. doubt that you'll be doing some <laughs> incredible things, well, even more
1: than you already are. And I can't wait to see and hear all the wonderful stuff that I, I know you'll be creating. Thank you so much, Dr. Negat today for being on Masala Thank Podcast. Thank you for listening. It's been an absolute honor and a joy to have you. I'm Sangeeta Pillai. Thank you for listening to Masala Podcast, a Spotify original. Masala podcast is part of my platform, Soul Sutras. What's that all about? Soul Sutras is a network for South Asian women, a safe space to tell our stories, to hear inspiring South Asian women challenging patriarchy, a space to be exactly the people we want to be and still feel like we belong in our culture and our community, and ultimately a space where we feel less alone. I'd love to hear from you. So do get in touch via email at soulsutras.co.uk or go to my website, soulsutras.co.uk. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Just look for Soul Sutras. Masala podcast was created and presented by me, Sangeeta Pillai, produced by Anushka Tate, opening music by Sunny Robertson, Besharam, Bhattamese, Gandhi, hi hi, bad bitty.